I can tolerate the French for two hours, especially if there's 30 minutes in the middle where they're not talking. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson and Jeremy Scott. I come in here every night, I tear into you, I abuse you, I insult you, and just keep coming back for more. What's wrong with you? Why do you keep calling? I don't want to hear anymore. Stop talking! It is Recotopia, episode 46. Mm. Um, I'm Chris Atkinson. I am Jeremy Scott. And today's big <clears throat> recommend is going to be talk radio, which is going to be fun to be talking about, I think. I um, think so too. We have uh, people uh, coming in on Twitch and YouTube watching us today on a Tuesday. It's Tuesday again. Mm-hmm. It's Tuesday again. Um, but uh, thank you guys for coming out and uh, and commenting and and, uh, and talking amongst yourselves and mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you doing okay, Jeremy? You have a good I'm Christmas? I'm doing good. I've been mm-hmm. stuck in my house. We got out Christmas Day. For Christmas dinner, and mm-hmm. uh, otherwise, there's been enough snow and ice that we haven't gone anywhere. And uh, mm. today, after this podcast, we're going out. We're going to the grocery. Oh, nice. We're gonna get some food, and uh, it'll it'll be liberating. And that's how boring my life is. So I'm feeling yeah. good. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Well, uh, do you have any small recommends? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small. It's tiny. It's petite. It's wee. I do, boy. Howdy. These are both pretty recent. Um, sometimes my small recommends stretch back from a week or two prior to the show. Um, but I watched both of these during this, uh, basically ice and snow lock-in. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is Sunshine, which I believe was 2007. Danny Boyle and Mm -hmm. our boy Alex Garland wrote the script. Mm -hmm. And I know you and I have talked about this movie before, even on a podcast, but nobody ever talks about this movie. And Mm -hmm. I feel like it may be one of the greatest sci-fi movies of the 2000s and nobody nobody talks about it. Now for me, I hadn't seen it. I didn't I don't think it had a huge release. Um so I came to it years late. I came to it like 2016 maybe, 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh but every time I watch it, I'm just like, god, nobody ever talks about this movie. It's got a stacked cast. Uh, we have Killian Murphy, Michelle Yeoh, Chris Evans, Rose Byrne, Benedict Wong, Cliff Curtis, Mark Strong. Um mm-hmm. Everybody is given interesting acting to do. This is a movie set in the future. The sun is dying out. And so humanity has sent an Icarus mission, um, which is really a a terrible name because Mm -hmm. Icarus dies. um, But he does fly too close to the sun, and their mission is to take a bomb to the surface of the sun and explode it. But that mission, they lost contact with it, seven years ago and now the movie is about the second Icarus mission and as they get close to Mercury they find Icarus 1 and it's sending out a homing beacon and they have a great debate and they decide to go to Icarus 1 because they'll have two payloads to blow up the sun with had they ever seen Alien before don't ever go for the homing beacon this is a terrible decision Mm -hmm. Uh, and I don't want to spoil any more of this movie except to say that there are some wild turns uh, some really unexpected things, but this is one of those finger in the dike movies where things just keep going wrong, and everything they try and do to fix it causes another problem. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I do want to warn, trigger warn that there are at least three suicides in this movie. Um, one is really the only true suicide, and that's off screen. The others mm. are sacrificial suicides or mm-hmm. uh, fuck it, I'm not on the ship and everybody else is breathing oxygen and I'm going to die anyway, so I decide to look at the sun. Um, <clears throat> but it's worth warning you uh, about that stuff. Uh, but I think this is a really fascinating concept. The the technology and the sci-fi concepts that are in here all kind of make sense uh, and work within the flow of the action. Uh, so it's Sunshine by Danny Boyle and Alex Garland. I haven't seen this movie since it came out, so I don't remember everything about it. I need to rewatch it. But it has a special place in my heart because I watched this when I was in New York. Uh, I watched the movie Sunshine at the Sunshine Cinema uh, in New York. 
um, and uh, and Danny Boyle talked about the movie afterwards. Oh wow! So um, awesome. So that was that was a really interesting uh, experience that I had with that movie. So it was really fun. He came out and maybe talked for about five minutes and he was gone, but it was still kind of cool. You guys can um, watch uh, Sunshine on YouTube for free. So there you go. <clears throat> All right, cool. Um, I, uh, I I dipped into some of my uh, Criterion uh, 4K releases, and uh, I watched uh, the 1970 French film Le Cercle Rouge, or The Red Circle. Um, and, the one with uh, Tom Hanks and Emma Watson? Yeah, the one with Tom <laughs> Hanks and Emma Watson, only French and 40 years earlier. Um <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but, uh, this is, uh, this is, a uh, ostensibly a heist film, but, uh, it's got a lot of interesting, uh, things about it that it builds up to the heist. Um, it's, it follows, uh, two different characters. One is a, one is a guy who is let out of prison and a prison guard tells him about this job that he can do when he gets on the outside. So, prison guard tells him about this this uh this job and he's and the guy is gonna get out get out early because so that he can go do the job uh he goes out uh to start planning for it meanwhile there's another man who is handcuffed in a train on a train and he's being transported Mm. and uh he's a prisoner i don't remember what he supposedly did but he breaks free he jumps out the window of the train and, and gets away um, it's not too long before that guy ends up, uh, jumping into our other character's, uh, car in his trunk and, um, and, uh, and they find themselves, uh, together and like sort of at an understanding that they're going to help each other for, you know, because they're like, Hey, I, I don't want you to go back to jail. And Hey, you who seem to have a pretty good uh, job that's lined up that can make us lots of money. So I'm going to, I'm on board with it. So they just the only thing they need to do is they need to find somebody who can go in to the go into the store and like uh, scope it out and tell them to, you know figure out what all the different uh, surveillance and and uh, security alarms and all that is and uh, they also need someone who's an expert marksman because it requires somebody to do that to shut off a lot of the system so they find a former cop uh, to do that um, and uh, and uh, so. It's got this buildup. There's a lot of stuff going on with people searching for these guys. And, like, there's, like, first off, you have the good guys are going after the guy who escaped, obviously. They're the, uh, you know, the inspector and all the cops and everybody are coming after that guy. But the mob is coming after the other dude because he's stolen some of the some of the mob's money. So there's, like, all these interested parties that are involved going after these guys while they plan this heist. The centerpiece of this movie and the thing that I think Jeremy... I think this movie is right up your fucking alley. And if you can if you can just tolerate the French for two hours, um, <laughs> is uh is the heist itself is a fucking masterpiece. It mm. is thirty minutes of no dialogue whatsoever. Oh my god. And it's just showing them going through all these different things. They never, they never tell you exactly what they, how were they, how they were going to get into this place or whatever. All you know is some security systems and whatnot, and that they need a marksman and all this. So like, they go in there, there's like all these security cameras or all these like motion detectors, not like the crazy ass Ocean's Twelve motion detectors, but like just you know motion detectors. If you go past this, you're fucked. And so. Um, so yeah, so uh, that that thirty minutes is just fucking gripping and thrilling and <laughs> worth watching the movie itself for, all the way through. But the whole movie is great. This is just high quality cinema all all you know all the all throughout, and um, highly mm. recommend. Even ninety five on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, this mm -hmm. is bumping high up on the list. I love a good long no dialogue stretch and. Mm -hmm. uh, you're probably correct. This is probably up my alley. <clears throat> yep, yep. I, I can tolerate I, I, the French for two hours. Good, good. I mean, it, they, some, they did some good things in, in their lives. Especially if there's 30 minutes in the middle where they're not talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's so true. That added to the enjoyment as well, yes. (laughs) Um, My second small recommend this week is, uh, I will warn you, it's 55 on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, no. And it's a 6.6 on IMDb. And I'm going to tell you what I think I like about it. And if you think you would like that, then you might want to watch it. This movie is called Seraphim Falls. Okay. This was 2006. It stars basically Pierce Brosnan and Liam Neeson for the most part, although there is an accidental double up with Michael Wincott today because he is in Seraphim Falls. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, uh, Pierce Brosnan is on the run and he is a former Confederate soldier. Liam Neeson and a posse are chasing him for a bounty. And um, that's kind of the movie. Now, Basically, Pierce Brosnan's character is a wilderness survival badass. So there are some elements of first blood at play here, mm-hmm. or even The Edge, uh, mm-hmm. which I know is a movie mm-hmm. you like. Yeah, uh, Lots of really cool survival stuff. We see him making footprints and then walking back over them and then dusting certain footprints. And then there's a scene where he sets a fire uh on purpose to draw the posse in, and then he kills one of them and runs away. Um, it's just a lot, and it's snowy, and we're in the wilderness, um, forest. Uh, it's very, very, it's very, very much like First Blood and The Edge. Uh, and there is a flashback <laughs> about two thirds of the way through that adds a lot more context to why one of these men is after the other one. Um, because they had an interaction during the war. Um, and it takes Liam Neeson's character from being a cold-hearted bounty hunter to someone who you almost understand. Um, And like the gray Liam Neeson joint, um, Mm -hmm. it's all heading towards a mano-a-mano standoff. Uh, This one, you need a premium account to watch this right now on Amazon, uh, Roku, or YouTube. That may not be worth the plunge for you guys, uh, but it's two great actors. Uh, I found the uh, survival and chase uh, compelling, um, but it's not The Revenant, um, mm-hmm. and it's not even First Blood. It's not that level of quality, uh, but I found it pretty gripping to sit through, and I uh, wanted to know what happened next uh, mm. constantly. So there you go. Seraphim Falls. All right. All right. Okay. And I mean, no, that's some, those are some likable actors. I can I can tolerate that for a bit. Um, I had heard of this movie a while back. I don't remember if it had a theatrical release or not, but uh, yeah, want to see that. So I had a had to choose from a whole bunch here that I could. I was like, uh, I've seen a lot of movies. I don't know which one I want to actually recommend out of this group. Sometimes you're just like, I don't know if I want. I don't want to recommend. That. Anyway, I ended up. I'm going to recommend Fall, a movie that came out uh, earlier this year. Um. Uh, you know, it's, it's the very basic summary of it is, uh, two, two women go out to this, uh, old radio tower. That's like the tallest, whatever in this particular region or whatever. And they decide they're going to climb it, even though it's old and decrepit. And there's so much nope involved in, in it that, you know, normal people would never, attempt this but they are not normal people we understand this right off the very beginning they're climbing mountains and you know the the one woman has she's married to this dude and there's this uh they have a friend who's who's uh who's uh, who they're who's going up the mountain with them unfortunately spoiler alert the guy the husband dies they he falls to his death mm. and um and now now his uh his uh his widow is grieving uh her name is becky um uh she uh she's grieving she doesn't know how to get back on her feet she's been uh she's been uh wallowing in misery for i don't know it's like a year or two or something like that after that but then buddy shiloh comes in and who she suddenly has a youtube channel that's kind of getting some traction and uh she says come out to this tower with me and climb it and of course she doesn't want to do that right away she's still upset but then she's like you know what my husband would want me to climb this horribly decrepit rusty tower that you know easily could break uh many in many places as a climate and everything he would want me to do that so he she decides to go ahead and do it 
of course this is out in the middle of nowhere uh you know there's there's a there's a small town nearby uh, but there's not much in the way of help if anything does happen. Of course, this movie would not be made if something didn't happen. Of course, the climbing up this, you see rungs of ladders breaking off as they go up the top. Uh, they start getting to certain spots. They get to the very top, and oh, it's so exciting, but then the, the thing they climbed, the thing they climbed up to get to the top falls off, and they're at the very top of this thing with no way to get... And... Um, the movie uh had some had uh uh had some sort of uh, uh i don't i guess coverage when it came out because it was filmed uh practically not they didn't go up in a t- didn't go up in a tower this high obviously but they did simulate it enough to make it look like they were in a tower that th- that was this high so they didn't use green screen effects or anything like that to 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 do that they just would go up they would have something a structure that was fairly high but not super high that would make it look like they were all the way up this thing mm. lots of shots in this where you're like holy shit this is <laughs> this is super high i would never ever uh do this in my life yeah. um of course shiloh the youtuber is uh is a, a little bit cavalier about uh lives and 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 danger and things like that while mm. her friend is obviously reticent to do a lot of this type of stuff anyway i think it's worth watching because it is a thrilling type of movie it's got a 6.4 on the imdb and i'll tell you i think i know the reason why for this there's a lot of things in this that are like oh come on Mm. um the uh the (laughs) there's a there's an aspect of the relationship that the three of them the she and her husband and this girl have that you will predict probably very early on because this is the way they do these type of things in every movie it feels like then there's a thing that you may not may not be able to predict but it has eerie similarities to another movie that came out uh a few years ago um and i won't mention that name main name of that movie just in case you remember lord of the rings and the eagles show up to save them don't they fuck But yeah, uh, it has. It, there's another survival <laughs> movie that came out a few years ago, uh, and uh, it has the, some of the same aspects of that. But uh, but I think as far as the actual like uh, danger and them thinking about how they how they can get help and using the resources that they have and all of that, that's all fun. That's all fun stuff. I think Jeremy, you would like this movie. This is, seems like a very Jeremy movie, even though. It goes to great heights, and I know you don't like great heights, but the movie itself is, I think, a Jeremy. I, uh, I saw a guy, I saw a video yesterday, a Red Bull video, of a bicyclist on the top of the Hoover Dam on this, like, six-inch thing, riding his bike along the edge, where if he would have fall to the right, he falls all the way down, and he didn't have any protective gear or anything, but I didn't get squeamish watching that so i can probably watch this movie, especially mm-hmm. since i know they weren't really that high up and this guy was really that high up on oh. the hoover dam mm. so mm-hmm. there you go damn all right yeah i will mm-hmm. uh i'll have to check this one out i you're not the only friend i have who has seen this and uh endorsed it to me so uh mm-hmm. that always uh makes me curious because you guys know yep. me pretty well mm-hmm. all right i think we're ready for the big big o recommend the big recommend i'm fine i'm fine it's just that you're so big it's so huge it's a good rule but this is bigger than rules it's bigger on the inside is it i noticed this week's big recommend is 1988's talk radio Mm. directed Mm -hmm. by oliver stone written by eric bogosian who one year prior wrote and starred in the stage play uh that the movie is based on. And honestly, John C. McGinley is a fascinating dude. He was in the stage play, and he plays in the same role in the movie. And as I was researching for this, he is in seven Oliver Stone movies. Yep. Seven. That's like a Bill Paxton, James Cameron kind of connection there. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Anyway, talk radio uh, follows Barry Champlain, who is on the verge of national syndication, um, and his radio show, which is called... Night talk. Uh, mm-hmm. And he is a no holds barred Howard Stern on crack asshole. 
who basically his shtick is he's incredibly intelligent, uh, but undermining the arguments of every caller who calls in uh, and talking shit to everyone. So some of his callers adore him. I love the way you talk shit to people. And he's like, fuck you. Uh, mm-hmm. and some of his callers yeah. uh, hate him. And I had forgotten how much anti-Semitism was in this movie. Um, oh, yeah. Because a large portion, um, Barry's Jewish, and a large portion of his uh, negative calls are anywhere from straight-up Nazi stuff to you know thinly-veiled racist language. Um <clears throat> And he's as popular as ever. Um, that's why he's getting national syndication. He's based out of Dallas. Alec Baldwin is his boss. Uh, John C. McGinley is his uh, board man. Uh, and he has a young producer who he's sleeping with. Uh, of course. <clears throat> because women are attracted to people like this. Um, mm-hmm. And <clears throat> basically, when he finds out the show's going national, which he only finds out on Friday, and it goes national on Monday, which is a little short notice, I think. Yeah, yeah, it is. He calls his ex-wife and asks her to come to town to be there for the big premiere, which ends up being fairly key to the drama of the film, if not the outcome of the film. Mm -hmm. Um, And she comes to town, and he is basically begging her to come back. It's almost romantic. Uh, and mm-hmm. he's saying all these things. You look great. You look beautiful. I miss you. When are you going to come back to me? And then we get a flashback, um, which shows why she left him, uh, where she came home unexpectedly and found him and, and John C. McGinley uh, sleeping with a couple of girls. And um, <laughs> he apparently had done it frequently. And so they were divorced and she left. And <clears throat> so then it's the night of the big syndication show the next day. And he finds out right before this show, oh, no, we were wrong. You're not going syndicated. There's a scheduling problem. It's going to take a couple weeks. This is not a good frame of mind for Barry to go into this show um, because it makes him even angrier and more riled up than normal. And this show is a hell of a roller coaster ride. He gets... uh, Another call from Kent, who he'd heard from previously. Kent had claimed to to have killed his girlfriend and her mother or something violent. And Barry saw right through him and knew he was joking. And eventually the kid on this second night, Monday, second call, I should say, admits it. I made the whole thing up. Mm. Now, this is a 30-year-old Michael Wincott playing a teenager, but we'll overlook that. Um, And so Barry invites him down to the studio. Now, earlier there had been a negative call, a threatening call, that said, hey, I know where your studio is. So here we have um, a little bit of heavy-handed foreshadowing uh, where he invites the teenager down to the studio and you're not really sure what to think is going to happen. Everybody's against it. Alec Baldwin's against it. The guy from Mad About You is against it. He's the national syndication guy. Um, And everybody's telling him, don't don't do this. And he's like, no, it's going to be fun. Trust me. So the, the kid eventually gets here and he is relatively harmless. He's pretty stoned. And Barry keeps mocking him, belittling him. And every time, Kent just dies laughing. He's, he loves Barry so much. He doesn't care that he's the one receiving the insults. To him, it's an honor. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of that time we were at an event and a girl came up and said, about to why, say. why don't you sin me? And I was like, I don't want to do that. Um, <clears throat> so uh, <clears throat> he lets the kids stay on the show for a little bit. And he takes another threatening call, uh, a very anti-Semitic threatening call. And then he starts taking calls one right after another, hanging up on him pretty immediately. Can't find a caller he really wants. And he starts dying out there. And everybody mm-hmm. seems to think he's dying out there. Um, so his ex-wife, in an act of kindness and kind of a callback to what we saw in the flashback, calls in yeah. under the name Cheryl Ann and... <clears throat> tries to be nice to him and tries to help by be, by pretending to be this person, help Barry get the show back on the right track. And she gets to a point where she literally says, I love you, Barry, which to the listeners is probably a little weird because they don't know it's his ex-wife standing in the other room looking at him through the glass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he says, did you ever hear that story about the dog with a stick in his mouth who looked over a bridge and saw another dog with a stick in his mouth? And so he opened his mouth to get two sticks, but then the stick fell out and he ended up with no sticks. And she says, what does that have to do with what I just said? And he's gone all in. Um, 
and he just berates her and says, you had your chance. She's been talking about this fictional ex, but it's obviously him. He's like, you blew it. Um, you had the stick in your mouth, you wanted more, and then you, now you can't have any. And just vilifies her, tears her to shreds. It's terrible. Because that's who this guy is. He hates mm. himself so much. Mm. He cannot help but project that onto everyone. Callers who love him, callers who hate him, the bosses, the new bosses, the producer girl he's sleeping with, his board guy. He torments them all because he is so tormented. Um, <clears throat> the show ends... Somehow the national syndication guy loved it, thought it was amazing. Uh, and I guess the scheduling difficulties was actually just, we're going to do a tryout because at the end of the show, he's like, we're going to start rolling out the national syndication immediately, which made me say, what about the scheduling concerns? Anyway, at this point, Barry doesn't even know what's up. At this point, he's like, what am I even doing? Who am I? I don't, I don't even enjoy this anymore. Goes outside with the producer girl, says goodnight. And as he walks to his car, he is shot dead. By a Nazi who hates him for mm. his race. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then as the credits roll, we hear callers into a future radio show um, giving their two cents on what Barry meant to them and uh, what they think about this tragic shooting. Um, and I feel like when the movie came out, or maybe just the last time I saw it, this ending <clears throat> seemed a little over the top. Um, but today... In today's culture, the idea of somebody hating a radio host so much that they tracked him down to shoot him is not that far-fetched to me. Somebody like well, this. Well, and it did. this did happen. It was, uh, it was uh, four years prior, a DJ by the name of Alan Berg uh, <clears throat> was, a, was doing this in Colorado. And, uh, and he was shot by white supremacists after a show. So this is what the whole thing was based on i'd never heard alan berg until i looked into this movie uh but apparently that is something that actually happened um uh so so yeah even yeah, even, even back then. in this yeah even back in that day this is, this is the type of stuff that's happening although probably not i don't know uh, how big of a news story it was it would be huge news story today but maybe not a big news story back in in the uh, 80s or whatever. Um, well, and it was just when you didn't have the internet to spread stories far and wide like yeah. we do today. So, yeah. And I was nine. I I wouldn't have been watching the news anyway. So Yeah, yeah. Same here. <clears throat> um, uh, so, like, yeah, this is a movie that I, I had not seen in forever. I mean, I was like, uh, I'd seen nearly everything Oliver Stone ever made. Um, this one was uh, recommended to me by you a few years ago and I watched it, uh, then, and it was interesting watching this because this comes right after wall street mm. and like the, the music is the same as wall street. It's the same composer, mm. uh, as wall street. Uh, Oliver Stone had just made platoon. It was best picture in 1986. And then he made Wall Street after that, and he made Talk Radio the following year, and then he made Born on the Fourth of July the year after that, and then he wow. made, he he kept make he was like there's like this insane string of movies, and then JFK comes in there in 1991, um, but he's uh, he's obviously I think after Platoon he's he was kind of trying to get a little bit, I mean Wall Street's not a small movie by any means, but I think it's probably smaller than Platoon was, and then Talk Radio is like really intimate, and and Oliver Stone sort of got uh made his name back in the day writing screenplays he was midnight express he was scarface mm. and um and he wrote scarface and and i was sitting there thinking this is the most brian de palma movie oliver stone has ever made t talk radio mm. it's got all that split diopter type stuff yep. going on in there yep where we can see his face talking in the very foreground while someone else in the background is observing him and is worried for him or worried about the show or whatever. A lot of that going on in this. There's something about, man, I don't know what it is about split diopter. That's so fascinating to me to watch, but, mm. um, I, I know I, I, you know, it's, it's so that you can have, see things clearly in forward for foreground and background, but I don't know why watching it is so, so like exciting and such a, a great movie move to me when I see it. Um, uh, so there's a lot of that in this. I also thought it was interesting setting this in Dallas. I don't know if 
I don't know if Oliver Stone or Eric Bogosian or anybody like that thought only this could happen in the South or the Midwest or something like that. But I had I, I, I had seen this movie and I just assumed this was going to be New York when I when I started watching it. And I mm. thought it was New York for the longest time until they started talking about Dallas and he goes to SMU and he does all this other stuff. Yeah. And uh, I was just I was I, I was wondering I was wondering what the the basis for putting it in Dallas was. Is it because it's like an like an all American city? It's like it, this can happen in your city. Is mm. it because it's in the South? Is it there, there's a lot of I, I didn't really read into what the movie was trying to say though about setting it there. There wasn't any statement about Dallas no, in particular. And the, and the play is actually set in Cleveland, which only raises more questions because yeah, yeah. That's not the South, but it is another all-American, medium, big city. Uh, mm -hmm. But you're right. Other than just being set there, it doesn't seem to impact any of the actual plot. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure why they said it then. <clears throat> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't either. But I, I just always assumed New York because it was just uh, it's it, the the type of the shock jock type of culture that we've come to know came from New York, like you know Don Imus and then Howard Stern and all mm -hmm. these. You know that's what it seemed like, but um, so yeah, it's a uh, it's Dallas, and then the, I think it's really interesting that SMU scene because either the people who were running uh, events at SMU have no idea, have no clue what popularity and what uh, a well liked person is, because he comes in and gets booed constant like immediately when he gets uh, announced. There, he can't even get a word in edgewise. He's being yeah. booed so much and having stuff thrown at him. Um, like it's, it's just. I thought it was really interesting. I, it, I think it may be that the person was just so out of touch. It's like, oh, there's somebody I've heard of. That's somebody that's on the radio. But it, you wouldn't think that that uh, you wouldn't think that um, you would have. I don't know. You would you you wouldn't think that somebody set up setting that event up would be would be completely oblivious to it unless he just had never heard the guy's show and maybe he didn't maybe he just yeah. heard the guy's name yeah. and the the guy's show obviously isn't going to play well at amongst a whole bunch of SMU people and everything so i thought that was a fascinating scene i love that whole flashback with his wife and yeah. like how he started and uh you know he, he there's this guy who's like just kind of invites him on the show and then suddenly he just takes over yeah. and he does so well that the that the powers that be give him his own show um and uh so yeah it's uh it's just a really interesting uh it's just a really interesting dynamic and i really like to see his rise and everything so um yeah no, i mean other than other i don't know this it's it's a really fascinating movie with a lot of fascinating like I don't know, verbal diarrhea almost. Yeah. Like yeah. like someone really just exposing his his mind to to a national <clears throat> audience and um he 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 speaks coherently but maybe not like he but maybe not like the I don't know, he it he doesn't he's not he's not really saying anything important really. He's saying stuff that sounds really intelligent, but it's not really. Uh, so it, 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 I think he's realizing it as he's saying it. That's what, that's what's so fascinating about the like last scene where he's like going through that big, long diatribe yeah. and his eyes look like they're just, they're just crazed when he's yeah. talking, when he's doing it. Uh, like he's like, I'm just letting it flow through me. I'm just saying what is on my mind. And, you know, and, and, and it looks like, yeah, he look, like you said, it looks like he's about to die. So. Uh, so anyway, this movie is really, really, really cool, really fascinating. And, uh, I really like watching it. Uh, it's simple. It's very simple and straight sure to the is. point. Yep. Uh, and it, he, he doesn't realize ultimately that the things that he says can be dangerous and that, that there are people out there who are that crazy. Um, he, he, he's, uh, his obliviousness is what ends up killing him. Yeah. Uh, by the end. Because he's uh, getting, so, he gets sent a dead rat in the first show that we see. And then the next night he gets a, th a death threat in the mail and he just mm -hmm. refuses to take it seriously. This guy is not living in reality. I wrote, 
I wrote Eric, uh, not Eric. I wrote Barry is kind of a Kanye. Anyone who tries to tell him he's wrong or not to do something, he doubles down in the other direction. Like mm-hmm. almost the entire movie long, he's basically you can't tell me what to do, guy. And, yeah. And even the you should be worried about some of these callers, he takes that attitude. You can't tell me what mm-hmm. to do. I'm not going to be worried. Yeah. And that gets him. Yeah. Killed. There's a <clears throat> there's a sense that he's protected, I guess, in some way. Like I don't know. Like it's not real. What he's mm. doing, and then there's no re- there's no reality out there that's going to come and get him for the things that he does or says. Like, like I I don't even know if I would be comfortable going to an SMU. Uh, you have to know he can't. He pops. He pro- he doesn't look like he knows how unpopular he can be. Right. Um. And so he goes to this SMU place, like out in the middle of the public, and like people asking for autographs. I'd be like constantly ducking to corners and stuff around that place yeah but he doesn't because he's not even he's just unaware of how people hate him even though because he he's constantly being told how great he is yeah in other circles so yeah well uh, and his show is it has massive ratings which he interprets as love even though people just listen they can listen without liking you um mm -hmm. because what you do is interesting um But yeah, I think he misinterprets everything around him in his life. Anyway, mm-hmm. I uh, I enjoyed going through this again. It reminded me a lot of my radio days. A lot of the equipment they use is similar to what I was using in the early 90s when I was mm-hmm. uh, a radio guy. A lot of Frasier vibes for me because there's a lot of back and forth between the producer and the on-air t- talent. Um, but just really good acting. The play itself, interestingly, uh, is set just on that last night that last night's show. There's no scenes outside of the radio. There's no multiple days. Um, So when they translated it to film, they added that stuff. But like you said, the flashback Mm -hmm. really works. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, uh, anyway, the play was also up for a Pulitzer. All right, I'm done. Uh, What is... uh, (laughs) uh, He he nearly won it. Like, it was... was, He was a finalist for the the Pulitzer. He was indeed. All Mm -hmm. right, what is the super secret surprise double feature for talk... Radio. Be very, very quiet. Secret. What secret? A dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. All right, I have one unconventional one and a one very conventional one, and I am going to unfortunately go with the conventional one. I say unfortunately because I like to do these. You know, I think we all like to do these. Like, huh? I didn't think about that before. Type of thing. Right. The the tone of the unconventional one is so different, though. I don't know if it would make a great double feature, but uh, the unconventional one I thought of was Bullworth. Oh. Um, <laughs> the Warren Beatty political candidate movie where he, I think he, I think he gets a concussion or something. I'm not sure uh, why, he, but he just starts is, uh, telling the truth. He, he, yeah, he starts, he starts spouting out things that he hears on the streets and starts rapping badly uh, throughout the movie. And, uh, and he has a sponsor played by Paul Sorvino, like somebody who's like a part of some sort of lobby, some real big, huge lobby of some sort or whatever. Um, and the Warren Beatty keeps on talking about things that are against this lobby's ideals. And you can see Paul Sorvino getting increasingly pissed as the movie goes along. Uh, but uh, it's a really funny movie, but it's also a political movie with a lot of like just straight up wow. Like there's a lot of cur- there's a lot of like I can't believe he just said that yeah. kind of bullshit in it. Um, and uh, once again, his his uh, the someone's actions. He doesn't. I don't know if he really is like Eric Bogosian in that movie. I think he realizes that what he says could get him into a lot of trouble, but he just doesn't care mm. uh, by the end of it. But the conventional one, and you may have even thought of this while you were watching this, is Pump Up the Volume. Ah, um, the Christian Slater pirate radio movie back in 1990, which also stars Ellen Green, who plays Eric Bogosian's <laughs> ex-wife in this movie. That's crazy. Um, Ellen Green uh, plays just a like a teacher who who kind of has a secret uh, uh, hard Harry, who's who's Christian Slater is playing in this movie, kind of a secret. Uh, fan of uh, his show but pump up the volume is basically just about uh this guy who's putting on our pirate show at a certain a certain time a night or whatever it's not a certain length or anything he just goes on and talks for a bit and then and then leaves 
um, uh, and one day someone who is contemplating suicide calls him and he, uh, he doesn't think he's, he's, uh, serious at first and uh and he tries to tries to rally it at the end but he just doesn't say the right things and the kid ends up killing himself and he becomes hard harry christian slater becomes very very uh, distraught about his words and what he means to his audience out there and of course people in his town think that he's he's to blame for this suicide uh but it's an interesting dynamic because on the radio he is he has no fear whatsoever about what he's saying, what he's yeah. doing, but he's just a high school kid. He's going to school, he can't talk to girls. He doesn't know what to say. He's very shy, which is weird because he's Christian Slater and there's probably <laughs> women that are like throwing themselves at him. But it has but it has um an end an introducing Samantha Mathis in this um i know you and i both love samantha mathis that was like a big crush uh back in the day Mm. um uh samantha mathis uh plays the girl who is secretly trying to figure out who hard harry is and picks up on little clues knows that he goes to the same school knows that he does certain little things and finally ends up finding out that that's who it is and befriending him and possibly becoming a lover of his by the end of it but um but the but the movie has this overall like you know uh like there's there's a lot more going on at this school than what what we have originally been led to believe and everything and it's actually based on true life events of mm. the guy who wrote and directed it uh of uh, a school that he went to in Canada so um so a lot of the stuff that's going on in the school there anyway pump up the volume has a lot in common with talk radio and i think it would be a great double feature i like this a lot i haven't seen pump up the volume in forever but it's mm-hmm. way better than the other samantha mathis christian slater movie broken arrow <laughs> <laughs> it is it is indeed <laughs> um yeah i'm gonna have to figure out i wonder if that's anywhere viewable right now well i will say this uh, I watched it uh, again just so that uh, I could um, uh, just sort of relive it and wanted to make sure that it was a you know viable candidate. I knew it was anyway. Sure. I wanted to remember a lot of things about it. I could not find it streaming. I mean, legally, uh, <laughs> I found it. I found it on YouTube. Someone has cut it up into like thirty clips oh, wow. on a playlist, and you can watch it that way. Interesting. I've also ordered the Blu-ray because you know, you know I'm just gonna I'm just gonna have to have it at this point. But um, right. uh, you can you can watch it uh, on YouTube. There's somebody who uploaded it, and it's like 30 different clips, and it's not it's not a bad like thing. You just pre- pl- press play all, and occasionally there's like a a nah. blip, and it kind of goes on to the next one. So uh, what are we gonna watch for next week's show? What is our homework for what will be recorded in the first show of 2023? Mm. So, um, this one has been on my list for a ro- really long time. God, there's so many there now that have been on my list for a really long time. And I just mm. like, when do I introduce this one? Do I want to do it now? Um, so I am going to do it now. Uh, 1992's the player is going to be, uh, the homework for, uh, next week. This one is about a studio executive played by Tim Robbins who, um, who, uh, is getting death threats from a writer and uh and you see him just throughout fielding pitch after pitch after pitch after pitch from people who want to make movies um but he's getting death threats from a writer and uh and vincent d'onofrio plays a key writer in this movie Mm. um and um and uh something happens i won't spoil uh that uh that sets tim robbins on a on a kind of a different journey throughout but this movie uh is uh is a real like inside baseball movie set uh, uh you know directed by robert altman um where there's just so many like 
there's so many cameos and there's so many people just like doing random scenes in this and it's you know it's very loose but there's a very tight plot to it as well but there's a lot of looseness to it like you know like he just runs into Burt Reynolds at a restaurant and and they have a conversation and Burt Reynolds is just like as as Tim Robbins leaves he's like asshole and then it's like this it's like this whole like I, I think it's like a whole like uh, improv there's a lot of improv kind yeah. of stuff in this uh, but um, but this movie is fascinating and great and uh, I I hope uh, a lot of you out there who haven't seen it get to see this for the first time because uh, it's great. Good it's stuff. very Robert Altman-esque in that there's a lot of dialogue going on in a lot of different places, and sometimes you're not sure who you're supposed to listen to, but everything everybody is saying is interesting. And so mm-hmm. it's a, it rewards re-watching. Uh, you can stream this on HBO Max right now, um, or if you have the Amazon Prime Premium subscription that has HBO Max attached. Mm-hmm. This is a 98 on Rotten Tomatoes, ladies and gentlemen. I haven't yep. seen it in maybe 10 years, so I'm very excited to go back to it, but this movie is a banger, and uh, I can't wait to discuss mm-hmm. it um, freshly. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> all right. Well, I think we have time for some questions. All righty. Question. Everybody, I have a question. Just one more thing. I want the truth. I know more than you. Questions, questions. All right, here we go. Name a movie where the title put you off of the movie. But turns out it's actually something worth watching. Example, The Last Supper. I thought was going to be some religion thing. But after hearing you guys talk about it, I really want to check it out. Um, one, one movie that I think I knew was good already or had been purported to be good before I heard the title. But if you ask me now whether or not I knew if this movie was going to be something good when I first heard about it was Quiz Show. Oh. Um, it's just just plain old quiz show is what it is you wouldn't think from that title that one of the best movies of the 90s uh is is behind that but um but it is it's one of the best movies of the 90s and it's called quiz show um uh and uh and uh also most recently um the movie barbarian did not Mm. make me want to go see it at all and it was only a, uh, because I had heard so much about it that I ended up just like, all right, I'll go ahead and watch this. I mean, people seem to love this for some reason. And uh, I'm glad I did because I really liked Barbarian. So, um, so yeah, those are the two. I, uh, I like those. Quiz show today would be called like the unbelievable hubris of uh, <laughs> NBC or something. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm going with Michael Clayton because – it's not only just mm-hmm. a dude's name, but that is a fictional dude. It's very close to the title Michael Collins, but Michael Collins was a real person in history. And so there's yep. a, it's not like naming your movie Lincoln, where you can <laughs> immediately have draw. You named your movie after the main character's fictional name. And it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Mm. I, I think it's, I still think it's a bad title. Uh, yeah. but it, it kept me from watching it for several years because it sounded fucking boring. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what you changed the title to, to make it you know, more resemble what that movie actually is. Um, but yeah, that's not, that, I think that's a terrible title, but that definitely kept me from watching it for a long time. Um, over here we've got Moneyball. Yeah. Moneyball's, uh, a, a title that you wouldn't think much of. Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. Of course. Um, and uh, and Shireen telling us that we're awesome. Well, thank you, Shireen. Thank you, Shireen. That's You're not a awesome. movie title, though. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's do another question. If I feel like mm-hmm. if you remade Taxi Driver today the exact same way, except changing the setting from New York City to Las Vegas, it would be just as great a movie. What other movies hmm. changing cities or setting would make it better or worse? God, I feel like New York is such a part of Taxi Driver. I don't know how I would take ta- I wouldn't know how I'd take the city of New York out of Taxi Driver. So much revolves around it being a New York movie, but I get the spirit of this question and I don't know, it's really tough. Uh I think The Hangover would be fun if it was in some place not a big city for once. Mm. Like if they had put it out in the country for maybe mm. one movie. Ooh. And they would have been able to like sort of explore, 
you know, Southern culture while they were like, and, and Vegas is a perfect one for the first movie. Sure. But like, then they're like, let's go to Bangkok and let's do all that. I mean, it just, it, and, and, and it just gets, it's all very samey. Yeah. It doesn't matter where they go. Yeah. Uh, they all have the same, uh, bullshit that they have to run into. I just feel like going in the South somewhere or just somewhere in the country in general would have been great for a hangover. Yeah. That's a, anyway. that's a great idea. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, mm -hmm. So the movie Collateral is one that I really enjoy. Um, Tom Cruise is playing a bad guy, uh, ruthless, mm. unkillable assassin, forcing Jamie Foxx to drive him around to all of his hits. Yeah, um, and I feel like there's a lot of L.A. in that movie, but I think oh why, yeah, I think the reason it's in L.A. is because L.A. is so sprawling and so mm -hmm. huge. Um, yeah. And I feel like that movie would work really well in Chicago um, mm, because mm. Chicago has the same amount of sprawl where you would need, you know, to drive back and forth and up and down for several hours to hit four or five different assassinations. Um, and not every city like Nashville is not sprawling. Nashville is yeah. tiny and crumpled. Mm -hmm. um, same with Indianapolis. But like Chicago, maybe even more than New city York, like New York is sprawling, but there's so much bridges and waters and tunnels and all that stuff anyway i thought collateral in chicago might work <clears throat> city in atlanta uh, like uh, atlanta might be a good one for sprawl the only um, problem would be you'd have to stop for two hours every time you got on the interstate <laughs> <laughs> so true <laughs> so true fucking a um, um anybody in the com oh somebody else was thinking collateral that's neat yeah, says so uh, uh eight says train to busan but in new york okay uh, it'll probably that. happen um yeah star wars star wars would be better if they said it on oh gosh, some <laughs> message came up on any other planet besides tatooine um and uh, somebody's like atlanta in the snow i don't know um but uh yeah quick change in tokyo yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> all right let's uh, do at least one more all right are there any movie stars that you called quote quote unquote like you saw them in a movie when they were super earlier in their career and you said that person will be a star mm, okay um uh so when i watched primal fear and saw edward norton for the first time i mm. thought that he would he would definitely be a star um i think that was his debut movie as well um now the window between when i watched primal fear and when edward norton became a star was a very small one <laughs> uh because because everybody was raving about Edward Norton after that movie came out. So he was a star instantly. And then he was in the people versus Larry Flint, uh, later on in the year. Uh, but the one most recently is Jenna Ortega. Um, oh, yeah. I watched scream, did not know who she was. Uh, but I was like, I was like, I really dig her performance in this. I mean, this scream movie isn't very good, but I think she's good in it. And, uh, and, and suddenly, yeah, we're seeing Jenna Ortega in everything. And now we know why is that she's really, really good is why. So, mm -hmm. uh, that's another one that I, that I can't, that I've got. So I feel like, um, I feel like Josh and I watched, uh, the professional and called that Natalie Portman was going to be a star, but I feel like everybody who saw the professional called that she was going to be a star. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I, my, one of my answers is lame. I, I, when I saw Holes, that was the first I'd ever seen of Shia LaBeouf. Uh, I guess he was on a Disney show and was probably already popular and famous. But when I saw Holes, I was like, that kid's good. I even, even the first Transformers movie, he's still got more charisma than most everybody else in that movie. Yeah. Um, and then that girl who was the head of her house on Game of Thrones that only had like 28 soldiers, oh, she was yeah, like yeah. tough as nails. When I saw her, mm -hmm. I was like, she's going to go places. And now she's the co-star of the last of us show that comes out in the weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, I thought, I thought both of those are pretty decent answers. We got, uh, some over here in the comments though. Mm -hmm. Um, Paul Dano yeah, and Little Miss Sunshine. That's a good call. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh Shireen says uh, Florence Pugh. Yeah, that's that's one that I can't remember if it was midsummer. I think it was midsummer that I saw that I was like, She's gonna be she's gonna be huge at some point. Um I think the first uh, time I saw her 
go ahead. Was Macbeth right? Like the, no, the Macbeth I s- movie. I saw her in that wrestling movie. Oh, uh, fighting with my family. Yes, yes. Um, so she's so good in that. She's too. electric in that. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Letitia Wright on her appearance in Black Mirror. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of Black Mirror. I remember uh, Daniel Kaluuya was another one that I saw in a oh. Black Mirror episode, and I thought, okay, this guy might might end up being something at some point. So he sure is. Um, so yeah um yeah and dave says lady mormont yeah i can't remember the name of the actress that's like the one you're talking about in the last of us right uh 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 but i can't yeah <laughs> we could look it up probably we could i will because <clears throat> mm-hmm. she's um, good enough that she deserves to have her name and bella ramsey there you go <clears throat> um all right uh maybe one more yeah i think we got one i think we need one more um uh, What's the worst? What's the worst, Jeremy? Learn how to read. Mm-hmm. What's the most a movie made you laugh in 2022? Not over the whole movie, but just the movie that gave you the single biggest laugh. So uh, this is not spoilery to uh, Glass Onion if you haven't seen it, but uh, at the beginning of Glass Onion, there's all these characters trying to solve a puzzle box, much like escape room does with their everybody gets sent one of these puzzles and they have to solve it to get into the escape room and so forth but there's like uh, all this stuff and you see all these characters struggling so hard with these puzzles at the very beginning of it uh later on when benoit blanc shows up to edward norton's uh uh get together at his place and uh and he is asked how he was able to get one of these puzzle boxes because he was sure he didn't send one to Benoit Blanc. Uh, uh, they don't know the answer to that question right away, but he says, he says, Oh, I don't know. It just showed up on my doorstep and there were a couple of ch- easy childlike puzzles on it. And I was able to, I was able to solve it real quick. <laughs> and, and, and so like all this stuff that people struggled with at the very beginning, Benoit Blanc is just saying, eh, it was a little, a little trifle. It got, I got through it in no time. There's a lot of funny stuff in glass onion, but that's my, that was my moment this year. Awesome. Uh, yeah. The problem with a question like this is I, I'm going to remember something later that made me laugh a whole bunch that I wish I would have answered. Um, mm-hmm. but I'll give you two. When we, when everything everywhere at once literally shows us a raccoon in the chef's hat, in the Rakakuni universe. Yes, yes. I lost my shit because they had mentioned mm-hmm. Rakakuni and I thought it was just a play on words. And then, no, nope, there's a real raccoon. Uh, and mm-hmm. then a movie that I don't love, Spider-Man No Way Home, but mm-hmm. I still have seen a bunch because I love Spider-Man. There's a moment in there where <clears throat> um, all three Peter Parkers are doing uh, chemistry or science and Ned comes up to Toby and he says... Do you have a best friend? And Toby goes, mm. I did. He goes, you died in my arms right after you tried to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> and he drops a thing into the beaker. And then he goes, it was tragic or it was heartbreaking. <laughs> and Ned just does this thousand yard stare like, what? And it makes me giggle so hard every single time. Because Toby's delivery is just perfect. He's just oh, so, it's, it's it's so casual about it. Uh, but it's still, there's still a twinge. It was heartbreaking. Oh, man. Anyway, that's going to do it for questions. Uh, Slab says five or six player, places and everything, every all at once. Yes, that movie has a lot of really funny moments, yeah, especially when, uh, especially during the fight where a guy gets beat to death with a bunch of dildos. That's really <laughs> funny. Um, um, uh, Castroff says mine is also Glass Onion, but more towards the end. No, it's just dumb, which you may have seen. Uh, as already memed all to death on Twitter, uh, the, the no, it's just dumb part. Because I think Kate Hudson says, it's so dumb, it's brilliant, or whatever. And he goes, no, it's just dumb. <laughs> um, uh, Snow One says, Weird Al, uh, the Weird Al Yankovic uh, uh, document, the mockumentary or whatever, has a, has a bunch of money. It has a lot of laughs in it. I think the, the guy... The Thomas Lennon character getting beaten to death, uh, uh, like nearly getting beaten to death for selling accordions at the very beginning of the movie, and then and then the subsequent trying to cover it up and bribe him not to say anything after that, one of the funniest moments uh, for me uh, as well. Um, uh, Shireen unfortunately says the last time she laughed really hard was like in 2021. It was Free Guy. Well, oh, she came loaded with compliments today. 
All right. Well, that's. I think that's going to do it for for that's today. Thank you so much, guys, coming out to uh, comment once again. Uh, uh, love you. Love your faces, as Philip DeFranco would say. I don't mm. know if he still says that or not. Uh, but uh, uh, but I love you guys coming out here and uh, commenting while we do the show. Uh, really appreciate that. But uh, next week is the player. Uh, can't wait to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And um, we will see you guys next time. Goodbye, everybody. See ya. Be a part of the live show by being a member of the Sin Club at Patreon at patreon.com slash cinemasins. Chat with us on the Cinemasins Discord at discord.gg slash cinemasins or Cinemasins Twitter at cinemasins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinemasins.com. That's R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A at cinemasins.com. Backstage, only the host can see you. The host may add you to the broadcast at any time, so be ready. Means put your dick away. There's no one here. Am I in the wrong room? Nope. There is a Chris there, and there is a Jeremy too. Hey, hey. Oh, snack time. What you snacking on? Um, it is an Atkins blueberry Greek yogurt yogurt bar. Nice. They are nice. really good. Plus, it has part of your name in it. Plus, it has part of my name in it. My wife is super into these, um, not yogurt bars, but like uh, protein bars. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because she does so much running at the gym, she has to eat a lot of protein. And Mm -hmm. that's a good way to, they pack a lot of protein into those little bars. But she found like a dozen of them that she loves and she buys them in bulk now. Mm -hmm. She bought five boxes once the other day. She was like, well, sometimes they don't have it. I was like, well, some other, <laughs> some other people might enjoy having some of those bars. <laughs> I've been in those shoes, um, usually with cat food, though. Um, I, um, cats love that Fancy Feast Primavera stuff so much. that, And apparently everybody else in the world's cats love it, too. Um, there was a period of time there where it was having some supply chain issues because it was hard to find them oh man but when i found them i bought them all there you go (laughs) (laughs) yeah no surprise of course new york has a lot of bagel places and it's it's crazy to me i don't go to i don't go to bagel shops don't eat bagels that often i ate a ton while i was out in new york but go in there you go to any bagel place and they've got like ice cream, all this cream cheese, like in a sitting there, wait, looking for you to look at and admire, like all these different versions of it. it. Looks like ice cream scoops, and and they just look all of them. You want all of them? They all look good. <laughs> Jason Alexander, it's is is messing up his own Seinfeld references, mm-hmm. and I've been talking to Patrick about this because Patrick is probably seen Seinfeld as much or more than me mm-hmm. but like there's an episode where George doesn't know if he got got the job or not I forget how the interview ended awkwardly the guy said uh, but of course and then got interrupted uh, is that so the George- one where he goes to work several times not yes. knowing and then yes. eventually they let him go and he yes. goes but I never even worked here and he goes you can see how hard this is for." oh no that's actually Kramer uh, that that line is from but George oh, does okay. go to work um Every day for a week, he just goes in and assumes he got the job, and he's working mm-hmm. on the Penske file. Oh, and mis- I remember Mr. this one, yeah. Mr. Penske comes in and talks to him, and, you know, George put the Penske file in this big accordion envelope, and the quick conversation really impresses Mr. Penske, and he leaves trying to offer George a job. Then the real boss comes back. George was hired, but since he hasn't done any work, he fires him. So uh-huh. <laughs> a few days ago, Jason Alexander... Uh, tweets out a picture of him with a Penske moving van behind him on the street. And he says, I finally found that dang file. Mm -hmm. And as I said to Patrick, George never lost the Penske file. (laughs) He just didn't do any work on it. He had it the whole week. He didn't lose it. And so I was willing to let that go until on the 23rd, Jason Alexander said, okay, I can't not say it. Happy Festivus, a festival festival. For the rest of us, but the line, oh, wow. 
the line in Seinfeld is a festivus for the rest of us. Right. It's not festival. And so now Patrick is convinced he's doing it on purpose to see if anyone will notice. Of course, I have noticed. What, but is he tweeting these? Yes. These are tweets. Okay, so like, do you think that maybe, at least on the second one, it's an intern. That it auto-corrected to festival? Oh, well, I would, yes, that is definitely possible. Like, but the he first one, Festivus for sure, correct. he fucked up. The first one, he for sure fucked up. Mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't say, finally found that file and not be anything but a fuck up. But this right. other one, possibly, <laughs> could be autocorrect. That is always a fascinating aspect of the creator-fan relationship. Uh, I, I watched a, a, inside the actor's studio, where they had all the, the Simpsons voices on. Oh, no. So they had Harry Shearer and Hank Azaria and all these guys. Uh, Nancy Cartwright, Dan Castellaneta. And uh, they were getting asked questions about sh the show, and they didn't know. They didn't have any idea about some of the details that people were asking about. Yeah. They just go into work, and they do the voice, and they don't sit there and obsessively watch all these episodes <laughs> like other people And they're not all do. there at the same time, even. Like, right. They go in you know, on their own and do their own lines, and sometimes yeah. there may be another actor there to play off of. But, yeah, it's crazy. I even, I mean, I guess some people who write books are different but i don't remember like people will ask me questions about books i've written and i'm like i don't know i wrote that mm -hmm. seven years ago I, I mean you're the one that's read it more recently <laughs> like, yeah you're probably yeah. a bigger authority on it than i am um yeah. so yeah and then i think it's the same for a lot of actors not just tv even movies like uh what's her name who was the woman that played the the wife on the sopranos why well, can't i think of her name? oh edie falco edie falco is in Avatar The Way of this. Water and and because she shot it four and a half years ago, she thought it had come out and bombed. <laughs> she didn't yeah. know it was she saw it seeing commercials for it and she's like, Oh, that didn't come out yet. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I think that's hilarious. I'd love to ask Eric Roberts one day. Oh like, Jesus. You know, like, do you remember being in this or doing this or whatever? Because he's his credits I think are over five hundred or something, right? Oh it man. might be even more than that. Um, because uh, he's because he's one of those that comes in and does a scene. People love working with Eric Roberts. They put yeah. him in for a scene of something, and I feel like as soon as he walks off of that set, he's walking to another set and doing <laughs> some other thing similar to that. Because he's got every year, he's got like twenty five projects or something. Yeah, the like dude that. works. Uh, we did this before, but I looked up Eric Roberts, and uh, under actor it says six hundred ten, and it says. Upcoming projects, 110. <laughs> God damn. <coughs> That's it's unreal. insane. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, I'm sure their shoots are not always long, but there's a string of Lifetime movies where he's like a doctor who kidnaps pretty young patients and tries to make them his kidnap wife. Mm -hmm. There's like, I think, three of them. Um, and he's a main character in those. He's those aren't mm. cameos. He's memorizing, you know, scripts and probably shooting for two weeks, if not more. Yeah. Just imagine how much information has gone into that brain, stayed there for a short while, and then gone out <laughs> to make yeah. room for something else. Yeah. You can't you can't memorize six hundred, seven hundred movies all at once. You got you got to you got to sweep some yeah. of that out of there. Yeah. What a fascinating person that would be to talk to, I think. Seriously, if he doesn't, if he takes enough time from shooting to do an interview. We're going to have a great show today. I'm especially excited because I could leave my house today because the snow has melted. 